Hey everyone, this is Kay here. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of ACE. This episode is super interesting and I'm so excited for you all to listen in. Um, I just wanted to say before we start, first, this uh, session was recorded back um, a couple days before Halloween, so it has been a month, um, but there, you will hear some references to the spooky season, so just wanted to preface that. Also, second, uh, we ran into a bit of a bump in the road when uh, I lost my audio file of this one hour long podcast episode, so that was quite unfortunate. Um, you might hear some places where the conversation is a bit choppy. That's just me editing. I hope you still enjoy this episode though, and let's get right to it. Hello, hello, hello. This is V speaking right now. Good morning and welcome to the spooky season. We are Asian American high schoolers who have conversations on all things Asian, whether it be spring rolls or philosophy. Today, we have a very, very, very special guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi guys, I am Sophia, and I'm so honored to be here. (laughs) Um, I am, to put it in context, I am half Chinese and half white, Mm -hmm. and yeah, basically we just, I, you know, Vivian asked me to be on the podcast, and yeah, so thank you Sophia, our guest of honor, for joining us today. Um... So now that Sophia is here and we're all here together, I want to introduce the topic of discussion for today, and that is our personal experiences growing up in Scarsdale. So to our listeners um, who do not know, we are Scarsdale-based, and Scarsdale is a a semi-small town in Westchester County of New York. Um, so yeah, let's start off with how we feel about friend groups and growing up in Scarsdale. I can go first. So I am Chinese American and there's like a very big Chinese population in Scarsdale, even though we're still very clearly the minority in terms of all of the demographics. But growing up, my mom was, I don't know, she held some kind of important position in the Scarsdale Chinese community. So I personally always felt cemented in a friend group of all Asian people, alas. But um, yeah, I feel like I'm pretty content with my current friend group, even though it's quite homogenous racially. But yeah, even though I didn't fit in with like a lot of other classmates, I've been content as long as I had my own personal bubble. And that's just how I felt for the most of growing up through elementary, middle, and high school. Yeah, I'm really lucky and privileged in that sense. What about y'all? I think, you know, for me, um, I I think it's normal for every kid to, at one point, not feel like they fit in um, and just kind of feel like, Mm -hmm. ooh, like I'm kind of (laughs) weird. And for me, like a lot of that... um, that outsider syndrome kind of came from not fitting in, you know, ethnically or culturally with mm-hmm. the large majority of Scarsdale. Um, you know, it always felt like race um, and ethnicity, that was something that you could just be, you know, 
that was an immediate culture you could just be born into and have like this community you are just inherently a part of. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I see that a lot with either my, you know, my Jewish friends, and that's um, a pretty strong, you know, culture in Scarsdale, and as well as like my um, Chinese American friends. And I am both of those things. Um, on my mom's side, she's German Jewish, and on my dad's, he's Chinese American. But for me, I never really, um, they weren't a part of either of those communities. So it always kind of felt, you know, like, I don't really belong here. Um, it Whereas my other friends, you know, I didn't see that with my other friends, but um, mm -hmm. I always just kind of felt a little bit like an outsider in that sense. And yeah, I think that my friend group, they were actually, I'd say, pretty diverse in terms of um, mixing, you know, and that's <laughs> something which is really nice because I don't know what, like, group I would fall into um, if it were more homogenous, you know? Mm. I don't know which side I kind of pull to more of my heritage. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Do you think your current friend group... So, your current friend group has, like, people of both ethnicities, right? Do you feel like you... Maybe the discussion topics with some are different? Um, like the way that you interact with some friends of one ethnicity is different from the other? Or for the most part, are they just like friends? <laughs> I think that... Um, I think there are some things that just my, you know, my Asian friends and, you know, those are mostly my Chinese um, American friends. They just... Things we we get more than like maybe my you know my white friends would get um and I think you know and if we're talking about maybe you know what it's like to be a minority in scars though they that's something that you know obviously they know much more about um and there's just certain experiences that would separate you know that would actually push me a little bit more to relating to my Chinese American friends. Um, mm. Just in terms of, you know, it, like stuff kind of every teenage girl feels like maybe yeah. confidence. And I, I would say my, my confidence, and I know like some of my friends um, who are, you know, Asian American have definitely felt the negative repercussions of growing up in such a you know, a homogenous town uh, right. where there's not very much representation either there or in Hollywood mm -hmm. um, in terms of beauty and, you know, self-confidence. And, you know, like, I think there... And there are just, like, certain things we can relate on there that I mm -hmm. feel like um, my white friends can't. Ah, they're too beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... For me, growing up, I never, so I, I didn't grow up in Scarsdale um, or on the East Coast. Um, I actually, I was born in California, and for most of my adolescence, I lived 
in uh, Washington. I lived in Bellevue, Washington. So anyone who's listening to this on the West Coast um, or Washington, yeah, I used to live there. And it's really interesting to see the differences, I guess, in um, the lifestyle and the culture between West and East Coast. It's not like they're hugely different in in any way but um I do know um and I can really point out that in Scarsdale there's a very high Jewish population so um even if like our neighborhoods our neighborhood is majority white um a lot of that is composed by um, the Jewish population. I also do know that people of color who are Jewish also exist, but it's more robust to see um, like the white Jewish population here in Scarsdale, and I've never really experienced that back in Washington. So it was really interesting to see. I would come here and people would talk about like bar and bar mitzvahs, and I would be so confused like, what is that? <laughs> but it was pretty much a norm for um, everyone across the board because it was kind of ingrained in this Scarsdale culture. Yeah, because like Scarsdale has a very high Jewish population, but that's very much not the case elsewhere, just around the United States, right? And Jewish people have been discriminated against massively in history. So from some interpretation, Scarsdale is majority minority because like I know a lot of Jewish people who don't consider themselves as white in the same way Mm, what do you mean by that like um because when we say someone is white that means they're phenotypically Caucasian but on another level whiteness is about the dominant sort of racial force (laughs) this like force (laughs) in the system right it's something that is privileged and has the capacity to oppress others right so it's like in this position of power and jewish people didn't have that for much of history from from their origins in um ah i'm gonna get flamed for my lack of knowledge of history but was this no no was this the middle east (laughs) No, it was <laughs> Middle East. Yeah, okay. Oh, Israel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Yes. So, um, yeah. I guess in Mama you could argue that Scarsdale is majority minority. Yeah, I guess so. That is actually really interesting. Um, I, like... I don't know. I've heard, but this also might be incorrect that, um, you know, people like I I think it's a pretty like well-known thing that um, like people who are Jewish um, and like I think, you know, like Ashkenazi Jew as well, like they consider, um, you know, being Jewish, not only a religion, but it's like an ethnicity. I believe. Um, So it is its own, um, you know, like, group that's 
held its struggles. But that's really interesting because I think that's the first time I've ever thought about, um, you know, being Jewish in that. Well, not the first time, but I guess in context of Scarsdale, um, where I think there's uh, like, you know, I've thought about, um, I guess, Jews not having white privilege, even though being white. Um, But, you know, I also think a lot of that privilege comes from just wealth, which we all uh, uh, most people in Scarsdale have. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the elephant in the room. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I guess I can take this opportunity to explain a little more about Scarsdale to our listeners who have absolutely no idea about Scarsdale and this is their first time hearing about it. Um, so Scarsdale is, um, first of all, like a lot of the demographic here is um, that most people who live here um, are middle to upper middle class. I would say like a majority is upper middle. And this difference in tax bracket, I would like notice quite starkly between my life in Washington, where usually people were middle class. And then here, um, a lot of upper middle class families. Like, for example, you would see that people here their problems are different and the way they would react is different Mm, what do you mean by like the people the way people would react in certain situations yeah so like with money people are like will impulsively buy stuff oh yeah i see yeah and this like culture of adding um monetary value to a lot of stuff and being like super materialistic is really prevalent here in Scarsdale, I feel like. Um, it's really interesting um, to see this happen because people are so nonchalant about the way that they spend money um, here mm. at school. Yeah, I obviously, you know, I haven't had the exposure of growing up anywhere else besides Scarsdale, but that is something I definitely feel as well. Um, it's... Like, because, I don't know, I think my, you know, I have grown up, um, you know, lucky enough to be in such a wealthy community like Scarsdale and my parents, you know, um, are no exception. Um, But, you know, they both grow up, uh, grew up not wealthy, you know, and I think that has affected, you know, the way I perceive things versus you know another kid whose parents did um and which I think you know I don't want to speak for most of Scarzo but I think that definitely like most parents did already come from some like level of wealth at least oh yeah you know yeah I think a lot of people here have this intergenerational wealth where it just gets passed down from their parents so yeah. for for your parents, they they like, uh, immigrated is not the right word, but they they, they kind of migrated. Like, <laughs> they like, I guess, kind of like climbed the ladder, you know. Um, hey. <laughs> yeah, they, um, but yeah, they came from pretty humble beginnings, um, mm-hmm. yeah. and 
I just I think that does affect the way I see things and like I think yeah like sometimes I'll pick up on certain things that are extremely they're very much tied to um just like an elitist attitude I guess like people will even I I've had friends and also just like people you know in classmates and stuff who will criticize other people because of the car they drive and like you know be like yeah no it's really like horrendous (laughs) um (laughs) I know like as if like because they drive you know um not some fancy um car over a hundred thousand dollars they're just I don't know ratchet like (laughs) (laughs) they yeah like people definitely have those views and it's it's really um it's a little bit disturbing I have to say imagine knowing how to drive I'm 17 and I still (laughs) (laughs) but yeah oh my goodness Definitely. Yeah. No, uh, and to, to clarify, I would like to drive, but I'm not allowed to. <laughs> anyway. You're um, not allowed yeah. to. Yeah, no, I have to focus on school and college apps, according to my parents. Oh my goodness. <laughs> but after college apps, literally, they said they will let me go wild after college apps, <laughs> so I'm just waiting for that. Um, oh my goodness. But yeah, what you said about the, like, because, like, Scarsdale, either you have this intergenerational wealth accumulated or you're one of the people who, who, who made it, that those who made it and um, came from more humble beginnings, right? I, I remember one of my friends, she's also Asian-American, and she came from, like, I, and I think her parents came from a rural beginning, um, and she was in her Spanish class, and she told me, she told me that... Um, in the class, one of the prompts was like, oh, what was your parents' experience like going to school? And um, she, uh, her experience was like, oh, her parents had to walk a couple of miles to get to school. They lived in a farm. Actually, I'm not, I'm like, I, I like don't know much about her parents' beginnings. But yeah, they were, <laughs> they had that kind of aesthetic. <laughs> and the other students, mainly white students, were talking about how their parents would live right next to a beach and find it hard to concentrate on homework because they were always going to the beach. Like, <laughs> Must <what>? be nice. <laughs> <laughs> Must be nice. And the parents and their parents would tell those students that like, oh, you have so much homework. I can't imagine ever having this much homework. And it's oof that disparity (laughs) I think my friend ended up calling them out though which was good yeah that's pretty good yeah yeah I to add on to that you know I've seen people like they have their parents credit card memorized (laughs) and they'll just yeah and they'll their credit card number and they'll just like input you know it in and order whatever they want um And they're and they either take the stance of like, oh, you know, like they're fine with it, <laughs> you know, it's fine. They let me buy, you know, whatever. Um, or they either take the stance of like, oh, it's fine. They they don't even look at their bills. Like, <laughs> oh my they, god, <laughs> they won't. 
<laughs> they won't notice. <laughs> and I just think that's so like, oh my god, I, I could never do. That. <laughs> to to just not look at your bills, that's crazy. I know, and people. I know people have been uh, getting away with it for years. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what what are they buying? Yeah, like, it's like clothes and stuff, you know. Um, but no it's cap. Just... <laughs> some of the clothes from really really fancy places. Like I remember this one friend got a vest from. I don't even remember some fancy place, and it. I swear to God, it looked like a nine hundred dollar trash bag. I know it's not even that nice looking why would they buy it I know I don't understand I yeah that's like another thing I feel like people like it irks me so much when people will just buy a certain brand uh certain clothing Mm -hmm. just for the brand um oh yeah you know and they don't actually like I don't even think it looks good most of the time um period yeah, like, you have to, because what they, like, a lot of people will just follow kind of the, you know, I guess trends, but to make, like, any piece work, you really have to, like, develop your own sense of style, otherwise it looks like you're just kind of copying a billboard, and, yeah, yeah it really do irks you, me. <laughs> do you think, do you think there's, like, a very majority or very dominant type of fashion at Scarsdale yes (laughs) there is and I think maybe it's you know I don't think it's just a Scarsdale thing like I've definitely seen it Mm. um in other places but you know there's like the Lululemon leggings and um yeah and maybe yes the white sneakers the uh was it the superstars or those you know, like, the Adidas that have, like, the black and white stripes. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, like, those and also the, I think they're called Stan Smiths. Um, mm-hmm. Like, oh, and Air Force Ones. Can't forget about those. Um, um, Air Force Ones. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I also, you know, like, I think it does, like, I think a lot of people, and this isn't, you know, trademark to Scarsdale, I think it's trademark to being a teenager, but a lot of people are maybe, like, they um, kind of stick to a more, uh, mm-hmm. they kind of conform to the, ba- you know, more basic um, style because they're afraid right. of, you know, like, looking different, um, right. I think. And I just think it's interesting because I, I've never really felt like weird, um, wearing something strange. But I've had friends who are like, you go, <laughs> thank you. But I've had friends who are like, like I could never, like I could never do that, or like I could never wear this to school. Like I like don't have the confidence. It's too out there, and I Aww. I think it's so interesting, like the different perspectives. Oh yeah, for sure. Like for fashion, um, you definitely see the people wearing um, like those very fancy bougie brands out there. But also like people like you, Sophia, (laughs) are such a rarity because 
um like we've seen your fashion you're in oh yeah little your icon. so good yeah so good. oh my goodness so good <laughs> yeah no <laughs> no actually no um and the way that you walk in school with such confidence and wearing um like cool styles and experimenting with stuff that aren't necessarily the the thing that a lot of mm, that people that students of Scarsdale that usually look up to um like those high-end brands and stuff um like thrifting and just wearing like clothes that are comfortable but feeling confident in yeah and like some things that people wear like the anti-social social club or whatever or like oh yeah <laughs> yeah oh I, is anti-social social club expensive yeah it is like i don't even know but oh. i think so yeah okay. <laughs> or supreme as well um lots of supreme and i also I yeah i remember like my first day freshman year like i was this is because I was so nervous to like kind of I was really anxious to be there um Mm -hmm. like just in school in I don't know if it was homeroom or some other place but like you know so my eyes didn't really move from the floor a lot and like just one thing I noticed was I took a lot of time to observe the types of shoes people were wearing Mm -hmm. and I saw like three of those Gucci sneakers um that are like, you know, have like the bumblebee or whatever. And I was just like, wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's so goofy. I know. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I feel like for, hmm, maybe I've just been very oblivious to these kind of things. I feel like for me, there are those days where I like go out there and maybe wear something a little more flamboyant. Um, but for the most part, it's interesting because whenever I notice other people's fashions, the ones who stray away from the fashion norm are the ones that I always think are like, whoa, they're fashion. That was a weird sound. But yeah, like, but whenever I try to do it, it's always, there's always this like aspect of um, lack of confidence this like insecurity that accompanies me whenever I wear something maybe a little bit fancier to school than not and like walking into school I like walk to school right so I'm always worried that there are people who are going to be like looking at me you know so yeah Sophia do you experience that and how do you deal with it I think I do um you know when I wear more kind of like I guess, eccentric things. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that, like, this used to be very true for when I was younger, like in middle school. And I think it was between maybe eighth grade and ninth grade where I started getting a little more out of my comfort zone. But yeah, no, definitely. I think, like, every kid's going to feel those feelings of like, wait, I'm doing this and this is like, kind of different and Mm -hmm. like people are gonna notice and it's just gonna be weird and like I totally felt those things um but on it like I think also a lot of it came from you know I didn't feel very confident wearing like leggings or skinny jeans um 
you know, or like, I didn't feel very confident actually in whatever the kind of more standard style was. So for me, it felt much more comfortable to kind of, I guess, have a little bit more agency or, you know, something like to pick something that was better for me in terms of confidence. So I did feel like that initial, like, ugh, this is kind of different. Like, I don't know if I should do this. Mm -hmm. It's going to (laughs) be awkward in school. And I definitely had those days, like, in school where I was like, like, I am literally, like, I look so different (laughs) from everyone else. Um, But I think I, you know... I grew to realize that just because it's not the standard doesn't mean it doesn't look good, you know? And it, it made me feel... Oh, say that louder for the people in the back. <laughs> it made me feel really um, empowered to, like, like little eighth grade meets, like, walk down the hall and, you know, maybe, like, these bell-bottom pants I had or, <laughs> you know, like, some kind of, you know, shirt that I... Um, that like my mom that was my mom's but I took it and it looks like kind of like old <laughs> um yeah vintage yes vintage <laughs> <laughs> yeah even f- yeah for like for me um fashion I think the way I've just worn clothes has evolved over the years um of course like personally I don't buy a lot of um, a lot of clothes, um, but when I do purchase something, I make sure to wear a lot out of it. Um, but yeah, going back to kind of like this fashion culture in Scarsdale, it's super like female dominated, I would say. You have a lot of girls um, wearing like the same well not okay yeah I feel like a lot of girls wear the same things that are like trendy but also expensive at the same time um which may translate to some sort of like status thing um in Scarsdale if that makes any sense it's a very female uh dominated or yeah it's something that I guess yeah I mean like Guys, we're just sweatpants. I know. Oh yeah. my god. Just sweatpants. <laughs> like, there's no original. No more of those Adidas sweatpants. Just banish them. Exactly. Forever. <laughs> we must. We must. You know. Oh, sorry. You go ahead. Oh, okay. Uh, just a small thing. But, like, I remember in my gym class for the past three years, my hypothesis was that guys don't wear anything other than gray, black, and blue. I was proven right so many times every single week <laughs> yeah they just does honestly that um goes with what i was going to say is the majority of the um population that kind of strays from the standard style are female <laughs> um like i don't see a lot of guys that don't wear athleisure um to mm. school which is kind of the predominant style for guys um here you know like wearing a t-shirt and like some sports sweatpants or something like I I mean I think it probably goes with you know 
the thought that investing in style is something more feminine. Um, and like, if you're a yeah. guy, why would you care about style, I guess? Mm-hmm. But these boys need to get on it because good <laughs> fashion can carry you a good distance. <laughs> Yeah, maybe girls, maybe it's more of, like, um, it stems from a more societal level of, like, girls are more willing to sacrifice their comfort um, than guys in terms of fashion and beauty uh, because that's just what society has ingrained in them. Like, wear those high heels that give you bunions or blisters. You look good and you look like a supermodel Mm -hmm. or, you know... um, even, like, in the mm-hmm. 1800s with corsets, which literally kill you. <laughs> oh, God. Um, okay. Or maybe it's, like, a combination of confidence as well. Like, maybe, um, you know, they're just not ready, like, to put themselves out there. Yeah. That's fair. I think everyone has... Everyone's developing mm-hmm. at their own pace. Snail. <laughs> Except for some people, and especially yes. guys with not a snail's face. <laughs> so, do, 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 do. we're at a 35 minute mark. Do you want to continue talking about. I have some ideas to talk about for more like race based stuff. Would you like to continue or end it at like 35? I'm minutes? happy to continue. Yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's chug on. Dope. 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 So I would like to shift the question more to like, okay, so we know all of these problems that are happening, but what's the best way to maybe combat feelings of exclusion? Oof, that's hard. (laughs) I know. If I had the answer, (laughs) I feel like I would be in a different place. (laughs) Um... (laughs) Mm. let's see i think it'll be cool to first have more conversations about this right but like sophia (laughs) you Mm -hmm. like the way that you're such an amazing role model um like being really confident around school like that is what we need honestly really yeah (laughs) pioneer I didn't know you guys (laughs) are are catalysts. Oh wow, (laughs) you're gassing me up too much here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I just thought of something. I have an idea of how to combat. Yes. Combat. (laughs) By like going up to these people, right? Going up to them. So going up to them. And, and complimenting that that right there that is one of the best feelings ever like it's mm-hmm. even you if you don't know them, them i think like rewarding someone for you know i guess putting themselves out there is such a great thing that we need to do way more of um and like right. Has that ever happened to any of y'all? It's happened to me a couple times. Um, <laughs> you know, like, I've come into school and I've had a kind of like this earpiece thing, uh, earring uh, that goes all the way up my ear. Um, and it, yeah, I don't have like oh. piercings up there, but it kind of like hooks on in the back and it, 
it's like a whole piece and um mm. i guess it it looks a bit like mm, like edgier um the best way to <laughs> edgy quirky kid no <laughs> um, but yeah no and i it's definitely like um is so i came into school wearing that and you know i was you know, just walking down the halls and some girl just tapped me on the shoulder and she was like, I love your earrings. Like, the, it looks so dope, you know? Aww. And I'm like, just get a good vibe from them. Like, they're going to be good human beings. <laughs> <laughs> That's adorable. And even, like, hearing it from you, Karen, like, today, that that literally, like, has made my month like that that's just so like <laughs> that honestly makes me feel so good um and I just think we need more of that type of behavior of like rewarding difference you know mm. and maybe the way that would translate to a more classroom setting outside of fashion would be potentially complimenting each other on what they may have said in class yeah no yeah for sure like we Maybe. need to give the platform to marginalized students to speak up about different issues like I remember oh wait v you can probably expand on this um your english class junior year and how that went oh oh my ah yes <laughs> oh yeah sure so Hmm. I watch this. Or maybe they should, they should hear they this. Should watch this. So last. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, my knight in shining armor. So, in my English class, there was the seats were arranged such that there was an inner U of desks, and there was an outer U. And the inner U was like, I'm not gonna mention their names, but they were. Perfect <laughs> children. They're, they're like okay. They were they were all white. They all had like really good grades. Very intellectual. This isn't like an honors class, so yeah, they were they were like the cream of the crop, right? And then in the outer circle, that's where I sat. We had this entire row just Asian kids, and then we had like another two rows of other kids who weren't in this inner circle. And the way the class worked is that people would call on each other rather than the teacher calling on people. And so it ended up being this entire cycle of just inner circle kids calling on each other for oh the majority of the class. And then the outer circle kids would get to speak only at the end of class when all the discussion material had been sapped away or just like very, very rarely. You know what I mean? So I was very turned off by that class, which was sad because the material was was interesting and um yeah. oh my goodness and your um, teacher didn't like pick up on this and you know like i i guess not i guess not there was this one uh this one student in the outer circle who was very vocal and just talked a lot so i guess he made up for the rest oh my of my goodness outer <laughs> <kids>. i <laughs> yeah but mm, so it was very problematic there was one day in which, um, like, the prompt of the discussion for the class was, like, what makes a worthy comment for participation and discussion. And it was dominated by the inner circle kids who just kept on preaching, like, oh, anything is good. Yeah, anything is valuable. We listen to everything. But, like, one is that 
okay, I guess that's not true. But two is that they don't they don't even try to uphold their self proclaimed ideals, right? So I ended up talking that period. Of course, uh-huh. I was the last to go in the class, but um, I was like talking about it and I was like calling them out on this class. So yeah, I think it got a lot better afterwards though, because at the end of the day, I do think that even though there was a very unhealthy thing going on with this inner circle, at the end of the day, they're like still humans and they have empathy, (laughs) I hope. (laughs) So um, they got a lot more aware of it. Yeah, they became a lot more aware of it. And like towards the end of the year, people were participating fairly equally, I would say. And another thing that ended up happening was, um, like, some people would end up complimenting what the previous person had said. So they would be like, oh, yeah, to add on that, uh, so-and-so's point was really good. And I wanted to say, yeah, insert, right? You know, that kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's two seconds of a statement, yeah, it, but it's very wholesome. It shows you're, like, listening and actually appreciating what everyone has to say. Um and mm-hmm. yeah maybe then part of the solution is just having both sides be aware that there's an issue um you know of uh-huh. kind of you know why well, i feel like you know like cuz it's like you said um once you kind of voiced kind of how you were feeling there was a change that took place maybe it was a progression of change um to get to a place that was more mm-hmm. um you know community like rather than segregated um inter- right. yeah so maybe right. there needs to be that discussion um which i think in a lot of in a lot of places in our life haven't happened yet you know like maybe you that was a revolutionary act, you know, maybe the first of its kind that needs to keep happening. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> oh my. Yeah. But hmm. on the topic of discussions, have your teachers initiated discussions on recent social justice? Um, well, for me, none of my teachers actually this year yeah actually none none of my teachers have talked about race um and the past occurrences um like the black lives matter movement and such i mean it's understandable for like i guess the science and um the math teachers to not talk about these things because it's like it doesn't have much relevance to do with the curriculum i guess and they just need to purge on really uh go through what we have because we already don't have a lot of time left in the year but for like the humanities um you would expect i feel like that they would they would bring they would bring something up um regarding race um and acts of social justice but to no avail yeah i haven't had that experience um also, but I guess for me, um, Sophia can also probably elaborate on this, but we were in the same English class uh, in junior year, so this was last year, and mm-hmm. our English teacher was, like, super exciting. Right. Yeah, I, 
What about this you? year, um, you know, I there hasn't been much of that, but I know last year um, I did have, I think both, you know, I did have teachers and they were my humanities teachers who um, acknowledged it. Like we took time um, out of the class period to actually have a discussion about it, a class discussion. Um, yeah, I think even in our English class last year, we devoted, I think we devoted like a period to talk about it, which, you know, I think this was last year, but I think like, um, although that's not nearly enough, like it was, I think that was my only teacher that actually wanted to you know, cut out precious class time to talk about it, which I thought was, mm. you know, I really um, liked talking about it, um, you know. Mm. But I, yeah, no, I think for the large part, a lot of teachers don't don't foster that type of discussion. Mm-hmm. That's definitely true. Yeah, in that sense, in that sense, I would say I'm pretty lucky to have um, my con law class right now, which is, I think we have like this white privilege unit and we've been on it for like a week, maybe two weeks. So yeah, that's pretty impressive um, considering most teachers like don't talk about it for even a single minute. Um, yeah, so I think for that class, it's something that we should definitely be doing a lot more and but I feel like the problem is that a lot of teachers don't want to seem too political or show their political stance. And it's like, well, sure, it might be somewhat political, but it also yeah. with human rights, right? So where do you draw the line? That's a really good question. <laughs> yes, that is a very good question. Um, I mean, I feel like for our school, the teachers are already like super... Uh, Mm -hmm. liberal Um, and I feel like it's still pedagogical to talk about these issues that are going on or at least like acknowledge them you know what I mean Um, because they're happening it's I think I feel like we should err on the side of caution at least mention it instead of just ignoring it as if it never happened Um, have you guys heard of the, there's like some Scarsdale anti-racism initiative and they are trying to make demands on the Board of Education to make race and ethnicity a mandatory class along with sexual politics. Is that the diversity and in, um, dignity and belonging um, club? I think that one's different. Um, I don't think it's that. It's more of a student-led gotcha. initiative. But that was one of their demands. I, they had an ooh, Instagram page. I, like, 100% back that. <laughs> I don't know why we haven't been doing that already. Um, I think that um, we should... I would love... Like, I would have loved to, you know had the chance to have taken um both of those classes um but you know like I don't know like 
because high school didn't make it a mandatory um, part of the curriculum, like, I honestly never got the chance to. Um, but, you know, I think that that would be something that, like, I, I stand by that. Interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. Um, although I will say, I feel like as much as we want to include racial discourse, um, we should, I, I do think, um, into our curriculums. I also feel like it isn't feasible in that, well, first, like, discourse of moms would not back this up. Um, and also... Like, there are a lot of, like, scheduling problems that we would run into, for example. And, you know, amidst COVID, with all of this, it also just, it's like another layer, you know. And it gets really difficult to try and include an entire course into our schedule. Also, I feel like it would disincentivize some students in that it feels like a chore to just, like, take this course like health almost like oh I just have to check off this requirement instead of fostering this community and this space where we can actively uh, listen and learn um, about uh, experiences from students of color and other marginalized groups. And so I think that's kind of where the problem lies, but we can still definitely add stuff um, or just include more racial discourse um, that's not as robust um, as adding a whole course. For example, we can add more texts, um, like we mentioned about my English teacher. Actually, I'm not sure if we did, but she added a book um, by a Black author for the first time um, last year. And we walk through that. Also, um, just being like having the teachers go through some training so that they're more cognizant of these different issues. But yeah, I think first and foremost, it's really the scheduling that becomes the problem. And yeah. Yeah. Cause, I, hmm. Cause like academics are very important to us, but obviously these issues should be as well. But one of them has a more direct impact on us, academics, whereas the other might be more societal or collective. I feel like maybe it would just, like, rather than adding on so many mandatory classes recursively, why can't they just reform the current curriculum that we have yeah. now? Yeah, um, I know that, because uh, I sit in on the Dignity and Belonging um, Club. Yeah, and, um, like, I know that there are a lot of students as well as like faculty that agree that the um the curriculum needs to be reformed because still like it's 2020 and like classrooms are still you know doing like role plays of slave auctions um and you know like what it like it's just some things just shouldn't happen and like they fought you know students are still um like, some teachers want their students to debate about, you know, pro-slavery versus anti-slavery. Like, you know, I I get that, like, you want to know the Southerners' perspective, but 
I think it, it just feels wrong to have it hosted as like a debate to make it a competition right. um, about someone fighting for slavery. Right. Like it's just that shouldn't be the way you teach it, you know. Um, and I know that like, yeah, like people like even faculty are definitely aware of their issues surrounding that. But depending, they are also hesitant to reform because they don't want to like mess up the curriculum, I guess. Oh, how can you mess up the curriculum? I know. Already messed up. Okay, do you want to talk about our history class last year? Yeah, that was a roller coaster to say the least. So we had this history teacher who was like really obsessed with role plays. And, um, oh, I have to mention that we, like, there were a lot of students of color in our class, too. We also had one black student, and this is an important detail because he would make us, like, get into these groups. Um, For example, like, some of us would be assigned the role of the white plantation owner, and we would have to justify slavery in some weird court trial thing, or we would pretend to be um like runaway slaves or uh or i should say um enslaved people or um like native americans and it was just like so weird because like not to mention that black student um was assigned as like that white plantation owner it was so weird because like they were justifying slavery you know holy oh my goodness i and like the worst part is you probably like per like purposely gave that role to the black student like thinking that that was like so good of him or something you know like yeah like i don't like like some people are just like on something different I just <laughs> it's like so weird because oh. you wouldn't expect this but then it just like happens yeah, you know um, um on what Karen said though do you guys think it's true that like white people can't facilitate proper conversations or nuanced enough conversations on race to an extent yes um it's weird I like you know I think that there are just certain things that non-POC just don't, they don't experience. So they, although they can have, you know, empathy for, it's it's not the same as um, being able to recount a specific experience and like understand exactly why um, that experience like shows the problems in society, you know, like, I think an example is my mom, um, especially, you know, like, race is a broad category, but specifically for being um, Asian in Scarsdale, you know, and those feelings of, or at least that I felt of being kind of maybe invisible, as well as like not fitting in. Um, mm-hmm. you know, she, and, like, the microaggressions in Scarsdale, um, she, like, kind of gets it, but she doesn't fully because she 
hasn't actually lived those experiences. So when I, and I'll hear her like talk about it to her friends about, oh, like Sophie kind of, you know, she's struggling with this or maybe she feels this way. Um, And she, but she doesn't really hit home the point that like, of why everything is so messed up, it feels like, you know. And that's just a personal, Mm -hmm. like, story. But I feel like it kind of speaks to a larger um, just lack of experience um, that I think white people have. And therefore, I feel like can't properly instill um, the right message, I guess, if they were to teach one of those classes. But that's just my opinion. Yeah, I also agree. Um, I think we've reached around one hour something mark now, and this was a very fruitful and enticing discussion. I think we've basically covered everything. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. what yeah. we that's... shall we conclude here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's everything everything. and so it is that is everything thank you all so much for listening into this discussion also thank you so 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 much to our beautiful wonderful intelligent young woman (laughs) our special guest sophia for um, contributing so much to this discussion it was really interesting to hear from her perspective and we can't wait to Um, start more of these discussions and perhaps she may feature again in the future who knows but yeah hope you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next time bye